You ever heard of the expression making it? <laughs> of course. Of course. We all want to make it, right? I yeah. want to make it. So like I was saying that all the time, or at least in my mind. I want to make it. I yeah. Like, make what, it. man, when am I going to catch my break? When am I going to make it? When am I going to make it? And finally, I realize I don't want to make it. Mm-hmm. I want to make it. Yeah. Right? The process. Yeah. This is Golden Hour. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and welcome to the Polar Pro Studio. Today's guest is Josh Yo from the YouTube channel Make Art Now. On the Golden Hour podcast, we talk to different creators, filmmakers, photographers. We ask them about their process of creativity, and we're here to learn about what it takes to become a full-time creative or full-time artist. Josh is an actor turned filmmaker who really cut his teeth in the industry doing high-end production stuff for TV and film. He's now transitioned into doing YouTube. No matter the circumstance, Josh is able to push the envelope of what is capable with his own creative energy and his own creative vision. And he keeps doing it over and over with every video that he produces on his YouTube channel. He also does this in his other work that you don't see on YouTube, pushing the boundaries of what people come to expect when it comes to real estate, videography, and filmmaking. And beyond Josh's career, I must say that this was an extremely entertaining interview to do, to say the least. Josh, just by himself, is extremely fun to talk to and was just cracking jokes the whole time. But we also talked about serious stuff when it comes to filmmaking and YouTube stuff. So without any further ado, let's listen in on my interview with my good friend, Josh Yeo. So we're here with Josh Yeo from Make Art Now. Finally got you on the podcast. Thank you. It's like pulling teeth to get you on here, but thanks yeah. for being here. Yeah, I, I don't do podcasts, by the way. So this is just for you. Yeah, you buddy. mentioned this is the first interview you've ever done. Yeah. First podcast. Yeah. So it's an honor. Thank you. We also uh, we also brought something here in honor of Josh Yeo. Oh, there it is. If you're not watching the video, oh. there's a sign on the table now that says Make Art Now. You might recognize wow. it from the videos. Very similar. We found the perfect. <laughs> you spelt it right and everything. Same. No, Josh brought this. I actually uh, brought that. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a Make Art Now poster banner thing. Just in case you're watching this and you forget, Yeah. you know, <laughs> who this is. So you this you is got visual the, reference. It's definitely the first guest that ever brought a prop for the. I think it should the, be a thing. I think, I think maybe you guys should. Just, tell them to bring a prop. Yeah, just bring something that like sums it up. So let's talk about how we actually know each other. The first time we met was at the Sony A6400 oh, yeah. event. I went to Catalina, but we, we hit it off for the Sony event. And it wasn't until I actually saw your video that you made from that, that I was like, oh, this guy's incredible. I oh, never saw any of your work before. And then I kind of binged everything after that moment. And Thank I you. love your style. I love your editing. I love your creativity. And if you're not, if you haven't seen any of Josh's videos, definitely check them out on YouTube, Make Art Now. Um, but we'll get to all that YouTube stuff. I want to kind of get started with our conversation about Burning Man, which you're <laughs> a huge fan of. And uh, oh, you're actually going to be going in like, what, next week or two weeks? Yeah, so I leave next week for that. So you've um, been to Burning Man for a couple years in a row, right? Are you? Yeah, this will be this will be my eighth burn. What makes Burning Man like a thing that you always want to go to and keep going back to? Um, What's so cool about it for you? You know, when I first went there, it was just so much sensory overload yeah. that, you know, you have all these people that haven't been, it's just, they just don't understand. They think it's a party out in the desert, which it actually, it is a party in the desert, <laughs> 100%, not going to lie. 
but there's so many other layers to it than that. Uh-huh. Um, it's so complex, and I feel like every year I go, I learn something new, um, learn a little bit more about humanity, learn a little bit more about myself. Um, it's a way for me to kind of check back in and like figure out like it's a really now it's a really good time for me to connect with my wife yeah you know so it's like our little vacation where we can go it's awesome and you know just kind of not have any even though there's it's overwhelming distractions it's yeah. like you don't have your phone with you, you yeah know? so like you're just kind of it forces you to be in the moment present it's, yeah th- and that's kind of what humanity is all about right right yeah and we've lost it yeah are you making any art installations for this year's event? No, no. That it, time machine. I literally just unearthed the time machine out of storage like uh-huh. four days ago, and uh, while I was hit with a wave of nostalgia and uh-huh. like, I was like, man, I can't like, I built this thing like it's so amazing. I was like, wow, I don't, I don't think I'll ever want to build one of these ever again because <laughs> it was so much work. Well, tell I me mean, about that. What what was that? I don't well, know first that. of all, I mean, the project was doomed for, from the get go. Uh-huh. Um, we, I had initially brought on the first person I brought on was a project manager, which uh-huh. was to help me raise some funds, and then the second person was an architect. And the architect was like, "Yep, we got to do steel frame. It's got to be you know big, heavy metal thing. We got to make sure we have load test stress." So it's like this thing doesn't blow over in the wind. So we ended up welding together like an 800 pound steel frame for this time machine, which is essentially an elevator cab. Uh So it was built from scratch, but it was supposed to look like an old elevator cab that had been transformed with some future tech Mm -hmm. and had traveled through space kind of like a comet. It's amazing. And um, anyway, so this, (laughs) this gigantic frame was like such a pain in the butt to like uh-huh. figure this out, weld it together, and then move <laughs> it. And by the time we had end up finishing it, it was it was pretty much immovable. So we had to take it the whole thing apart and move it in a big U-Haul instead of transporting it like intact. Uh-huh. And it took us three days just to rebuild it back uh, on the playa at Burning Man. And it was like 110 degrees out there. It was like the <laughs> hottest year ever. And it took us three days to do it. And finally, when we were done, it was like we hadn't slept. It was just completely exhausting. <laughs> Golly, yeah. dude. Yeah. That's a good video, though. But yeah, so I yeah, I did that whole video on there. And that I, I think the only reason why I did the video was because the time machine took so much work to do. Yeah, show the process. I was like, I have to, like, I have to reward myself and my, my teammates yeah. with some document of this. Yeah. But the truth is, is that, um, a lot of the art that goes to Burning Man, mm-hmm. you can just burn it down. Oh, really? And I remember like coming up with the idea. I was like, "No way! I don't want to burn it. Like, I want to. I want to move this to other uh, festivals. I want this thing to be like, yeah, to be worth it. I want to have this." And then as soon as the week was done at Burning Man, I was like, "Fuck! I wish. I wish you could just burn it down. Like, <laughs> just, just like just, too much. Just burn it down. And but you can't because there yeah. was like steel and yeah, there's like it, yeah. you know." plexiglass in there yeah. you know so where do you come from are you from california Born yeah so i'm um i'm from actually southern california but i lived in northern california a little bit okay and then i moved back down to southern california in your life did you kind of bounce around move around a lot i did yeah. i did um, my uh uh my mom was re- remarried a couple of times so uh-huh. i kind of i think i went to like six or seven different elementary schools wow and so, like, I always kind of felt like an outsider, yeah. and um, 
moved up and down the coast of California and then I moved out to Arizona and then yeah when did you actually kind of make roots and stuff like in LA so I moved out to Arizona for college uh-huh. and then after that I came back to uh, Los Angeles did you finish college and that was I did I did I have uh, I'm a very proud owner of an associate's degree nice yeah <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, exactly. I don't even have that. Yeah. I dropped out with only half a semester left. And I, I, just I was like, a, the funny thing is like all through high school, like like all through elementary school, junior high, high school, I was like a D student. Yeah. Terrible. Like yeah. you could not like <laughs> it, like my parents were lucky that I didn't kill myself uh-huh. and, oh, man. and that I like actually graduated. But then as soon as I went to college, like, and I had to pay for my own college, mm-hmm. it was like a, a, like a wow. plus all the way when you actually had some motivate to it and motivation well you know what i figured out is that we don't actually know what motivates us really a lot of people a lot of people don't know what their motivation is mm-hmm. and i think one of the the keys to success is like when you actually figure out when you ask that hard question of like what actually motivates you yeah you were talking about that with me earlier about yeah. how having a family does motivate me right so that's so that's the one for you then yeah being a good father yeah being able to provide exactly having a future stable future yeah yeah i don't have any of that right now <laughs> you have a wife my, you got married i got a wife this but year she's got a great job she's got like she's got she's nailing it yeah she's a nurse she's fine so you moved to uh from arizona to la yeah yeah and were you interested in film yeah so i took a couple of screenwriting courses when i was in arizona and and then i took um I took an acting class in Arizona mm-hmm. and uh, You wanted to be an actor, right? Not really. Okay. I actually wanted to be a writer. I I wanted to just nice. kind of create stuff. And so I really liked the screenwriting course and then I was like, well, I'll take the acting class cuz it'll make it'll kind of flesh out yeah. the writing process, storytelling, that kind of thing. And and then I liked it. Um I liked the performance aspect mm-hmm. and um and then so I I moved out to LA following uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, she mm. was going to like fit him, you know, fashion institute or something. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'll move back out to LA. And then I was, uh, I found this acting coach that uh, was just really good. And she had an acting class and it was like method acting. And she just really made me feel like an artist. Nice. And so I spent eight years studying that. Wow. And going to class, like doing the whole bougie LA actor thing. Yeah. Like, and I hated the whole acting experience in terms of like auditioning and um, like trying to book work and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I loved the process. Mm-hmm. And so I always loved class and my teacher would be like, why don't you like, why don't you go book, like audition for this thing, go book this thing. And I was, I was just, was always in it for the class, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. The process was always amazing. So when was that moment for you when you kind of had this aha with YouTube and starting your YouTube channel? Um, like two years ago? Yeah. Like two years ago, you know, I was, I was cutting, a, um, I was cutting a reel just, you know, for like drone jobs and, you know, I had. I had bought my first camera only like five years ago. Uh-huh. And so I was working at a restaurant before that doing the whole acting thing. So you were literally the stereotypical I was one work, work at a restaurant, yep. 
struggling actor. Yeah, exactly. And, and literally just waiting for opportunities to come. Yeah, you weren't even going to auditions, huh? I was going to auditions, but I hated it. Okay, I just gotcha. I cringed at the whole process yeah. because, <laughs> I mean, the whole the whole audition thing is such a yeah. such a racket. I mean, yeah. they end up hiring people that are in their roster anyway, but they yeah. have to because of like because, sa- of- because of SAG regulations, they have to see so many new faces oh, and fresh actors, and they have relationships with other casting directors. That like yeah. it it after like eight years of just pounding pavement trying to get these things, it just it kind of took the life out of me yeah knowing that the actor that they wanted to hire uh-huh. that was probably good enough for it but maybe not ha- was what the writers had in mind yeah was just friends with the casting director gotcha. or was friends with the producer or something like that like and, and that's how okay that's before, how it goes. sorry before we get to youtube i do want to figure oh, yeah. out that uh that switch from actor to filmmaker for you um you said you bought your first camera five years ago yeah so i was working at a restaurant and doing that whole thing and then i got involved with a uh non-profit organization called seeds of hope and they have a they had a shelter and they had a clubhouse Mm -hmm. for girls down in costa rica that were victims of sex trade wow and so my friend was involved with them because he was part of their church group is it yeah that's them seeds of hope.com yep and and so I went down there um, on a whim just to like help move sandbags and just be of service, right? Oh, yeah. And I found out what they were doing, and I had a little flip. Remember those flip cams? Oh, yes, those were great. Those were so, so that popular. was so that was actually like my first camera, and I would uh, bring those to like Coachella and like and that, and that's how I learned editing. But uh, I don't consider it my first like professional camera. Sure, because um, everything was in focus. And oh yeah, it's just like seven twenty. But like that's what I was editing on. Yeah. And so like my editing background probably goes back ten years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, so I brought that thing down with me to Costa Rica, and I was like, listen, I, I you guys are doing something incredible here. You you need some documentation of it. Let me just. This is how I can best serve you guys, and I'll just shoot this little video and cut together something. Maybe it can raise you guys some money. So I shot this thing on a flip cam. And I edited together like this two minute little piece that just mm-hmm. kind of spelled out what they were doing and yeah. how, and I gave the audience a sense of hope after like, yes, this is terrible, but like there's change happening. Like you yeah. can be a part of this. And that thing went on, that one little tiny video went on to raise them like $50,000 at their uh, church organization throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And then um, they were really impressed with it. And they were, they asked me to come back and and do it, do it again and so i was like yes i 100 percent let, let me do it right and so i i bought a real camera and i bought some lights what was that camera do you remember? 5d mark ii yes. yeah it's way to go man yeah and it's so funny because i had no idea how to use like when i look back at that the second video i did with 5d mark ii and i actually used a tripod and i like yeah I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like out on my Which mind. one was better, the flip cam one or the I 5D? think the flip cam one was better actually. Yeah. It just goes to show you don't need like all the fancy stuff because yeah. at that point I was I was simply shooting and editing off of intuition mm-hmm. versus when I like invested in the equipment it somehow tainted that process. I was like, "Oh, I have to use this because I own it now. It might not have been the best thing at the time." Wow. You know. You know, like you start, yeah. you start justifying shots totally. that you need because you spent so much time or money on them. Exactly. But at the end of the day, if it takes away from the story, 
cut it out so i when i first started out i got a 7d with a 24 millimeter prime the f1.4 l series okay and it was you know that's an expensive lens but that was the only lens i had yeah. and some of my best work was shot on that one camera with that one lens it's basically a 35 mil equivalent and like i kind of missed the simplicity of the one lens the one camera and i think i had like a 50 but i would rarely use it so that one lens, that one camera, I made a documentary that got a Vimeo staff pick, and it was just that one. You got lens. a staff pick? Yeah, yeah. I used to be a filmmaker before I was a YouTuber. Dude, that's impressive. I, I've, I've never met anyone that has a staff pick. Oh, really? Yeah, you're the first. Uh, just go to Nashville. There's a whole bunch. Really? Yeah, I was. Uh, I always wanted to get a staff pick. Like my ego wanted one, and yeah. I was always bummed out when I didn't get one. But I only uploaded like a couple of videos for it, and Vimeo was like the shiz back in the day, man. Yeah, are they? And also, the word "shiz" used to be the back, shiz. The shiz back in the day. <laughs> yeah. They're still around. I. What uh, was the video? It was a little mini doc about my uncle, my great uncle, and uh, Philip Bloom tweeted it out, and that's how I got a staff pick. This was back in seven years ago. Yeah, Philip Bloom. You met that guy, dude. That guy's my man crush. Yeah, he's the man. He's like, I think Phil. It's funny because I think he's, he's got like. Um, and he's got what I don't even know how many subscribers he has, like 180 on, on yeah, YouTube. Not then, enough. Not enough, right? Yeah. But like he's legendary yeah. in terms of like you know, the people in our field who yeah. they actually respect and they're yeah. like, Oh dude, you know, Phil Bloom is like yeah, he's legend. He kind of even before the five D like revolution, he was already doing reviews and like tutorials yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But when the DSLR kind of revolution happened, he was at the forefront of that and kind of you know, he was like our Peter McKinnon, I guess. So tell me about uh, when that switch happened. You bought, you know, so you, let's finish that up with Seeds of Hope. You did the video. Okay. And then from there, did you start just freelance like video stuff at that point with your 5D Mark II? Yeah. I mean, so I was working at a restaurant and I had a really terrible manager and he just made me feel like just yeah. a P. Like I hit number one, I was like, I was like the king of this restaurant before. Like I was like the best salesman. I was like slanging all these dishes and I was inventing my own dishes. Uh -huh. It's very bad, but like we worked at like a tourist, it was like a tourist attraction uh -huh. in Beverly Hills on Rodeo. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just uh, like, can I just invent a dish? I'm like, how about we'll make, we'll call it the $100 filet. And it was like our $40 filet with like a big lobster tail on top. And I'm like, the and I asked the chef, I'm like, can you make me a button? This is a $100 filet. Uh -huh. Anyway, so like, sorry for that tangent. But that's where <laughs> so I was. So like, that's where I was. And then this manager comes in uh -huh. and starts dropping these lines like, all right, so you ready for your six month review or something? And I was like, what? I'm like, you know, I'm out of here. So like, I ended up, I ended up. He, he, I actually thank him for being such a prick because he fueled yeah. me to finally take the reins of my life. Yeah. And instead of waiting for opportunities to happen, mm. I was like, I'm going to go make some opportunities it. happen. I can relate so strongly to yeah. that. I was at a place where uh, I was making videos, but I was there was constant just corporate structure attached to it. Mm. And they would say, do this, do that. And I'd say, no, that's not going to work. This is what we should do. And they're like, no, don't do that. I would go do it anyways, come back. They would love the result, but the process of the way that I did it, I went against authority. Yeah. And my boss had to sit me down. He's like, Dave, I don't know what to say, but you, you make stuff that's good, 
but the way you do it, you just don't follow the rules. And so you either need to quit or you're going to be micromanaged. See, and so I quit <laughs> and I was like, I love that about you. I, th- I think that's what makes good art. I think like, um, reevaluating yeah uh, the work in progress constantly yeah and refining like that's otherwise you're just you're gonna do the same stuff do you have a rebellious like bone in your body is 100 percent. is any type of authority you just kind of go against it or not even even if it's not authority even if it's like a friend just be like hey i think you're like ah, ah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's terrible it's actually it's bad um it's good that you're self-aware of it. It's something that I've been aware of as well recently, and I've been trying to, because there is a negative aspect to that, especially with my relationship with my well, wife. How is with, how is your relationship with, with, with your dad? My relationship with my dad is amazing, and he was there for you growing all the way. Yeah, up. he's a he's a musician. He's a um, okay a producer. So I I feel like mine comes from my relationship with my dad. My dad's a great dad. Uh-huh awesome but my mom made it a little difficult for him to um be around us all the time because mm-hmm. she we constantly were moving yeah and so he physically wasn't there in my life yeah. so i was the youngest and i was you know my mom had three or shit my mom had four other kids so like at by the time <laughs> yeah. i came around like my mom was checked out like don't like yeah. don't try to pull any shit with me because i know what you're gonna do uh-huh. but it was like you know, your brothers will take care of you. Yeah. So, like, um, I think that's where I get the rebelliousness yeah. from, which is, My, like, I'm just going to do it anyway. But, yeah, I can relate to that. But also, I think there's value in uh, putting your ego, like, on the doorstep and walking into a place where you're working around other people and everybody's collaborating together and, like, working together. And you're not always the boss all the time. I think it's valuable to have that. But also, because of the Gosh, way you're, I want that so bad. Yeah. I would love, like, I love it when you have um, so I some, love, someone that you respect or work with. And that's they, what I love about this job is we're working together to make this podcast. It's not just me doing this. I mean, it's mostly you and, <laughs> and that guy and that guy over there. So, like, having um, what I always loved is, like, having either an employee or, or someone team. that you respected mm-hmm. where they, whether they were going to use your opinion or not, Mm-hmm. They asked you what what you thought of this, like yeah. weighing in. I feel like that's so important, and it's uh, even if they're at a higher level, they're asking one hundred percent. They're doing it because it's like the next generation mm-hmm. allowing a pathway, right, yeah. for for you to to mm-hmm. enroll yourself. I've that's of, so important. I've heard of a lot of filmmakers, even like really big ones that Ron re- Howard that are open to you know a pa giving you a suggestion or something right i think it, i think ron howard on his master class i've watched like all those master classes are they good they're all good oh heck yeah it's like 190 bucks you can get unlimited okay and um I'll give it a i think ron howard is the one that i saw where he's like it doesn't matter if they're pa or you know transport guy if someone has a suggestion you know they're seeing something they're responding to something and whether it's good or not it's good for uh, directors to at least listen to it because yeah. it could it could be something it could change it could change your thought process but anyways where were we I so you know, quit we your job at the restaurant i quit job at the restaurant and i went down to seeds of hope i did their second video they that one took me like three weeks to shoot and then we um i took me like three it took me four months to edit that thing i killed yeah. myself editing it mm-hmm. and i was so proud when it was done and uh i gave it to them and it was like 
they had a bunch of revisions. <laughs> oh, like, no. Ah. <laughs> Authority. I'm like, no, you don't see the vision, though. The vision, this thing's beautiful. You're just not getting it. And yeah. then it was like the first wave of like reality of like, um, it's not re- like if you're doing a video like of that nature, you have to like stay in tune with it, with the yeah. product or the company that you're doing it for and yeah. not get sucked into your own vision 100%. And mm-hmm. so... It was a good learning lesson. And then after that, that kind of emboldened me um, to just start pursuing paid work. Um, and so I was, uh, I started out as a drone pilot. Really? Like this is like right when Phantom. DJI had released the Phantom 2. With the GoPro and, so, and the Zenmuse. Yeah, exactly. So I got all that. I soldered my own little thing yep. together so I could have the first person view. Yep. And then I listed a bunch of Craigslist ads and put together a little drone reel and i was like undercutting everyone i was charging half day rates you know it's like yeah you know just trying to do something and i remember those first six months was so scary because i was like so broke oh yeah and i'm like 29 at this point this is like this was uh, not that long ago it's like three years ago it's also pre-faa regulation stuff too right right Yeah. yeah exactly so i think i got that first drone like yeah well i guess it was 2014 or 2015 when this was happening yeah. but um five years ago five years ago now man i gotta change my story <laughs> it was like it was like last year <laughs> you know time moves on <laughs> yeah not for me i have a time machine okay <laughs> that's true so anyways um i didn't catch my first big break at least in terms of produ- like i was always struggling with work and finances i didn't catch my first big break until um I started filming real estate, filming these houses, and mm-hmm. I started out in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. And you know, the homes in Bakersfield are big; they look beautiful, but they're not. They're like the most expensive properties, like five hundred thousand dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but they they look massive. It looks a lot more expensive than it is. And so I went. I was going out there. I met up with a broker named Bobby Moreno. Great guy, Bobby. Great name. Yeah, Bobby Moreno. And he he saw some of my work and really invested in me and worked out a deal where I was like, listen, it's a two and a half hour drive. How about I do three videos for you over the course of two days? Um, I'll bill you for the hotel. And then that way, because I think I was only charging him like 200 or 300 a video to shoot and edit. Like, (laughs) I mean, it just shows how how desperate I was to get work, especially in LA. Like it's very much undercutting the business. Yeah. Um, for working professionals and um i did one video after that that was the most expensive video i did it was a five million dollar property i spent a week doing it it was for my friend who uh works for the agency in um in marina del rey and i really put a lot of elbow grease into that video and I didn't hear anything back for like three months and then one day out of the blue i get a call from a producer from New York City saying we found your video we love what you did with this thing can we license the footage and I was like absolutely they're like great we have a thousand dollar day rate for to license footage I was like oh my god that's more than I was paid for the video I was like <laughs> done and then and yeah. then he was like also and then he calls me back a day later I think he had he had found me on Facebook or something and um messaged me on Facebook he's like actually do you want to shoot for um this interview this show that we're doing it's called secret lives of the super rich 
and yeah. we need to do pickup shots at this house and we also have to do a little quick soundbite interview for the broker do you you know we'll pay you a full day rate and at this point in time like a day rate for me was like 250 bucks and uh-huh. i was like what's the day rate and he's like thousand dollars a day i'm like are you like that's that's like a, a week's worth of work for me and i was like yeah. absolutely i'll do it and so um man i got so lucky on that one just wow. that one video and that that uh, i'll never forget that first day of shooting with them i realized that very quickly like i was working with other professional cameramen guys that have been doing it for 20 years and they have the mm-hmm. whole camera van and all the you know they have flags and they have lights and they got like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment and very quickly i was like wow i am way out of my league here and so i made an effort not to be the best or be the most talented but just to be the most enjoyable to be around for Mm. those producers because i knew that if i made sure that we had a good time because i was like we're in my neighborhood i know exactly where to go and do everything if i can make sure that we have a good enough time i'll be hired back and that was 100 percent true wow what were some of the things that you did that you remember from that day that were um so we we shot we shot the house at beverly hills Uh and then I think I just like picked a couple of good restaurants for us. Like we had, um, they were there for two days shooting. So like I lined them up with like lunch and dinner restaurants to go nice. to. And um, I think you just were yourself. You're just having yeah, fun. yeah. But I mean, even on set, in between in between shoots, like you know, stuff always inevitably goes wrong. One every shoot I've ever been on, yeah. you know, something goes wrong. And so like when that happens, you can either joke about it and like get it done and just Mm -hmm. kind of break the ice you know because it could be if there's a client there or if there's like the interviewee there you know sometimes they have a sense of humor sometimes they don't you know but to get that out of them to make the the experience the most enjoyable yeah that's 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 gold that's what you gotta do from that moment on i was then to work with them so that house that i shot for them was Uh a five million dollar property I got a call two months later to go shoot Cher's house. Oh, wow. $85 million property. So it was Jeez. like, I went from from Bakersfield shooting like $400,000, $500,000 homes to $5 million, then jumped to $85 million. And then the next house I shot after that was the most expensive house currently in the world, which is $500 million home. It's, oh, wow. it, I think they just finished building it. So we had shot part of it being built. And it was like a massive compound on the top of Beverly Hills. So it was like it, it was like meteoric it like growth out of nowhere. All because I poured yeah. all this energy into one little video. Someone saw it. And then I made the effort to just be super friendly and and enjoyable to be around. And it totally paid off that's incredible and that uh i don't know that i would have a youtube channel if it wasn't for that kind of interaction yeah so is that still something you're currently doing for work uh yeah it is yeah yeah Yeah, they um they'll hit me up like now the show itself is kind of rebranding itself and they they i i shoot for cnbc a ton for other shows as well uh but this one in particular is like like always the funnest one because like yeah it's your gig yeah. i mean do we we've shot at like bella and Gigi haddad's 200 million dollar house in bel-air we we've shot expensive super yachts and mm-hmm. the most expensive like watches you know 50 million dollars worth of 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 like jewelry um, yeah 
So, um, are you just uh, like, do they hire you to shoot? You yeah, so come in on your one wheel and your gimbal, basically. I, You're the one wheel guy. Uh, I'm the so I do ride the one wheel for them occasionally, but the Segway is far superior. Oh, the for, Segway, yeah, yeah. You're riding indoors. Like I yeah. rode my Segway through like Bella and Gigi Haddad's uh, home, right? Mm-hmm. Weaving through like artifacts and like paintings and like <laughs> vases that are like ten feet tall. I don't think that I could do that with as much precision with the one wheel sure. as you can with the Segway with two wheels solidly on the mm-hmm. ground and the camera positioned straight on. Yeah. But it was funny. I remember asking the producers, I was like, uh, I think I'm going to try to get an insurance policy for me to ride a Segway inside. And they looked at me so crazy. They're like, what? I'm like, G- you got to look at this footage though. You got to, you know, see, like, look at this. It looks like I'm floating through a house. Yeah. And after that, like the person who books me for CNBC every time was like, you're going to bring a Segway, right? <laughs> <laughs> they had like taken off. And now I think there's a couple of guys under that shoot for that show that they all ride Segways and they all like, <laughs> so you changed. Oh the yeah. To- oh, to- oh, oh, totally. Amazing. Totally. Dude, it's that's like, fun. Yeah. But I mean, it's also like with a Segway or a one wheel, you can cover so much more ground. I can yeah. shoot a whole downtown Los Angeles in like half an hour with one of those things and not be what out of breath. In, instead of what would take you like four hours and then you have to take a cab and then you have to go across over here and get this shot i'm like no i just shoot everything on my way over there and by the time i get there i'm done <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's amazing yeah so it that right there was like a huge game changer for me as well just what's it like? making an aesthetic that yeah wasn't really around before so i'm trying to understand though they you're just a freelancer for the show, basically? Yeah, so they have staffers, people who work for CNBC, and then they, certain special programming, they have they will hire uh, hired guns, freelancers. Yeah. Steadicam ops, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Drone ops. And because I'm on the West Coast and they're based out in New York, anytime they have a property that's west of Texas, I get a call. And so I go to Colorado a lot. I go to uh, Montana. And you're there with a crew. It's not just you. It's normally me, one other camera guy, an audio guy, and a producer, and a follow-up producer. So in terms of it's like... It's pretty stripped down. It's really stripped down. Like mm-hmm. m- most television shows, if you talk skeleton crew, it's still 25 people. Yeah. This is five people at most. And wow. so it, it's, a, it's a buttload of work, and you have to be really good, and you have to like be willing to be on your feet for 12 yeah. hours, 14-hour days sometimes. What do you and, shoot on for those... Um, so the funny thing is that I was originally shooting on uh, Sony A7S mm-hmm. Mark One, mm-hmm. and this was like you know three years ago, three and a half years ago, and the other guys were shooting on C300 Mark II, which had just came out or something. So you're talking about like a ten thousand dollar camera, fifteen thousand dollar camera, yeah, versus my used A7S One, <laughs> and so I was shooting it with an external recorder, shooting 4K, and then um, you yeah. know at that time television wasn't 4K; it was all HD, and it still for the most part is HD, and I would have to like run this through my computer to crunch out these 4Ks into a deliverable 1080, ProRes, so that yeah. I could. Uh, not even that because they're editing on Avid. So I'd oh, have wow. to crunch it down to DNX. Yeah. <laughs> so so like I'm doing all this extra work behind the scenes just so I could get my image to look the best so I could keep up with the C300 Mark II. Uh-huh. The funny thing is that my stuff was looking better. Oh, wow. And, it, and while the C300 Mark II is an incredible camera and it's like the color fidelity and skin tones are amazing and in no way 
can compete with the a7s mark one especially with like the auto white balance issues that it was having um when you take full frame and you compare it to a super 35 sensor and mm-hmm. you're shooting real estate mm-hmm. suddenly you're you now have these wide angle lenses you can make houses and properties look a lot bigger and a lot more spacious and these these producers were like your stuff looks way more it looks bigger it looks more roomy it looks more sharp and i was like crunching down 4k files whereas the other guys were just shooting 1080 internal oh, wow you know and so not using as wide of a lens i got away with that for like two and a half years and then there was some a couple of interviews where i kind of messed up on and they're like all right yeah no more sony you got to get the c300 i was like all right but by that time i could afford it yeah so you have a c300 mark ii but now i have a c300 mark ii which i only use for that show <laughs> <laughs> and it just collects just it just there. i i i it's just a cost of the job i like it pains me looking at it because it's, it's and it's on top of a movie so you're yeah. like it's like literally like 16 grand just sitting there on my yeah. desk and i'm like i'm only using this once a month like <laughs> not into it otherwise yeah yeah that's so. cool okay so that all happens that all happened and then you start your youtube channel yeah so i basically wanted to showcase some of my work and i wanted to build a relationship with an audience and i knew that where i want to go uh-huh. is going to require the audience behind me because i think any filmmaker these days has to be aware that a subscriber base mm-hmm. you know finding that as soon as you can is going to instrumentally help your career and absolutely you know, so that that was and it kind of happened right around the same time all these new opportunities were hitting me and inspiring me and they were also challenging me and so i was trying to funnel them into the youtube channel the hardest thing is that because of my agreements with cnbc i couldn't actually use any of those stories in the channel so i had to come up with my own way of trying to include some of those experiences or at least what i've learned into um the channel but i couldn't use any of the footage oh man you know yeah but like that was it okay so when did you kind of was there another creator that inspired you to start a youtube channel you just kind of had the awareness of youtube yeah i think you know i think casey neistat actually probably had a big influence um at least on i remember watching his stuff and i remember thinking of how shaky the camera movements were yeah and like it just wasn't that good but like and and i couldn't figure out why i kept watching it i was like why am i watching this and you know if you're an outsider you've never really seen much uh vlogging youtube or any of these lifestyle youtubers you probably don't get just how much work and how much expertise like how much mastery is behind that until you jump into it Mm -hmm. to be able to hold someone's attention someone you've never met they might be a new person watching your stuff to be able to hold their attention give them some information tell take them on this journey that it's a lot of work takes a lot of it really is practice to get that good and he's an absolute master at it and he's figured it out and so i think watching that that kind of inspired me in um in a novice way though of like oh i can do that i could do it better right yeah felt the same way Sil- yeah so silly but yeah. that's that's you know that's the illusion yeah you know um make Makes it, it look easy yeah exactly yeah. so um, you started your channel and and then after that pretty much uh, as soon as i started the channel like i tried to watch as little youtube as possible that's after good that. 
I've and, stopped um, watching a lot of it too because it's just too much. Well, you start comparing yourself, yeah. you know, and you start trying to place inflated values over your own work versus other people's work, yeah. and it starts alienating you from like these relationships that you've made with these people. Yeah, you know, um, it's just not. You know, there's a difference between watching someone who's your friend and their work and supporting them and watching, and then like you know watching YouTube and then being like either trying to get inspiration from them or copy them or yeah, you know, even in, in, in the back of our minds we're always yeah. There's no original thought. It's all <laughs> true. it's it's all stolen and yeah and regur regurgitated and repurposed and it's true yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of creators out there, um, and you're one of them that I watch. That I'm like, man, these guys like you. You put so much time and effort. Like Dan Mace too, the way that he edits who's, and creates. Who's Dan Mace. Dan Mace is uh, the guy from South Africa. He works with Casey sometimes. Have you oh ever, right, I like him. His yeah. style. I feel like you and him actually are like. Have hey, a, Bruce. Hey, Bruce. Yeah, bro. <laughs> um, I love that guy. I don't I, I don't watch his stuff, but I have seen his. You intros. should have seen. Uh, yeah, I mean he does he's a lot of work. He's super original, super yeah. talented. He's just yeah, he's figured it out for but sure. Like that's exhausting. Isn't he, for is me he to at watch. like over a million now? I don't know, but he's got to be close. He's probably close, but uh, um, he does one video a week right now. He's doing a and it's nuts. He's traveling all over the world doing one story in a certain region in yeah. the world. And, um, I think he has a team that's helping him, but it's still mostly him and it, you know, it's exhausting to watch. And even your videos, it's like, there's a lot of work and effort put into it, which goes against what I've been told from YouTube experts, oh, like anyone quantity over quality. I actually don't know that I recommend the stuff that I do, but I'm on my own kind of path. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you not, you just don't care about YouTube as a well, YouTuber? I think, you know, if I try to hold true to like my values of like, you know, do it for the art, do it, you know, be punk rock, go against the grain, you know, yeah. do stuff that ordinary people would pass by and think that there's not, there's nothing there. You're not going to get any views. Do it anyway. Like, yeah. Those things don't, don't work for the algorithm. And I, yeah. I get like, that's probably my number one comment, which is like, man, you're getting robbed on the algorithm or something. Right. But like, Going back to Burning Man, one of the best things about Burning Man is when you get there, you've never been there before, you find a body of work, a piece of art that someone erected, and mm -hmm. you just look at it in awe. It's like 30 feet tall. It's like this huge lighthouse that's built up of all the scrap wood, and it's intricate. You can climb it. And you can go up there. Your mind starts bending because you're like a group of team dedicated months, hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this body of work. Mm-hmm all for the purpose of blowing your mind mm -hmm. and they're going to burn it down and there's going to be no evidence of it afterwards. Wow. Right. So like that kind of thought process. And I was like, is there a way that I can kind of do take, take from that what burning man has given me and give that on YouTube and do like these videos where you might think you know what it is, but once you watch it, it quickly takes you into a different direction. And then yeah. you're like, whoa. And then it does this. Whoa. Like, so yeah. that's all kind of what I've been trying to do in the back of my mind, at least, you know, working for these things. Sometimes I take tangents and I, yeah. I'll do, of course, we all do videos for the views and stuff like that. Sure. It always backfires. It does. Phenomenally. <laughs> I'm like, yo, this thing's going to do so good. This is going to go viral. And then it's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to push the viral button. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always say. I'm gonna push. Make sure to push that viral button when you hit export. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and and then also the opposite is true. When I like, I'm like, this video is such crap. I'm not gonna upload this. And then I upload. It. It's like one of my best ones ever. I'm like, and then the next three videos are me just trying to get back to that. Yeah. It's like, oh god. Well, that's the problem. I with can't figure it out. The social aspect of it is like you you have comments, you have likes, you have views, you have subscribers, and as an artist, I feel like all those things go against art in general. Like you're supposed to really. Right just do well, what? also you know what's weird is like i you know like having the interaction from the audience is so important yeah it's cool to it's talk to them so important like you wouldn't you have a lot of mistakes that i make or a lot of things that you know people catch i, I actually didn't see them and so it informs me for the next video yeah, like but audio. on the other hand <laughs> On the other hand, so it's so these comments are extremely like in, instrumental in helping the progression of art get uh-huh. better, right? But on the other hand, you catch someone on a bad day, you know, you uh-huh. don't know what their experience is. They may have just been fired, uh-huh. you know, they could be like super bitter because they're working at um, some restaurant and their manager is, is <laughs> just like you is jerking them around. Yeah, and they catch this video and and I just look like one of those douchey dudes and on and, YouTube. And, yeah. and and they just un totally unload, right? Yeah. It happens to everybody. No one's impervious. You told me somebody said something no about your audio had, yesterday. Right. So like that is totally counterproductive to all of the whole art process because you're now taking some influence that has nothing to do with the art or whatever. It's someone just projecting, you yeah. know their vomit onto you. And yeah. that's so I, I, I do kind of struggle with that a little bit. Sure. You know, just where to where to weigh that in. So basically with YouTube for you, it's all about just making stuff that you're passionate about that you want to go against the grain and you're not on any type of like schedule. Of course, you're trying to do a couple a month if possible, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I think eventually I'll probably scale it up and do get somebody to edit for you. Would be yeah, great. get get it, build a team, you know, yeah. of like other people that feel as passionately about this process as I do. Mm-hmm. That would be super rad. Yeah, but I think for the moment, um, I'm getting each video I upload. I'm I'm actually getting something out of it. It's either something new. I'm working towards uh, a skill set that I don't mm-hmm. have, and so. At the end of ten years, I'll have this set of skills that I yeah. wouldn't have had otherwise. What are you? And dri- that's the goal. What are you driven by? Money, success, fame, going think, against the grain. Yeah, I think going against the grain, blowing people's minds. Yeah, you know, I it's think the Burning Man concept. I think so. Yeah, yeah. just like, um, I think I want people's respect, mm-hmm. and I don't know that respect is the same as numbers yeah. or money. Yeah, you know. Um, like the artists that I always respected are like mm-hmm. people like Philip Bloom, who like they put in the work, mm-hmm. they do it, you know, they do it right. They do it right. They're thorough. They care about what they're saying. Yeah. You know, um, they're not trying to just shove things down your throat or products down your throat. Yeah. Um, other artists, you know, uh, Idris Elba, like that guy. Uh-huh. That guy's a beast. Yeah. Um. That's pretty much it. Philip Bloom and he just <laughs> I, <know>. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, but like if you look at his work, you know, he's not the, he's not like The Rock right now. You uh, know, he's sure. not like so if you compare it to actors. Isn't like, he going to potentially be he could be. seven? He could, he could be. That would be dope. That would be super rad. Um, uh, but like if you look at his volume of how many movies he puts out. Or like let's take it even to in a more ex- extreme case. Daniel yeah. Day-Lewis. Uh-huh. Is that guy not the most revered actor of, of all time? Yeah. The guy does one film every four 
four or five years. I mean, he's now retired, but yeah, like that was his thing. It took him three years to do a video. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to do a YouTube video. A video. <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine Daniel Day Lewis does a YouTube channel? Well, that's the thing is like I would watch. Will Smith and uh, Jack Black now are on YouTube and yeah. we're probably going to see more celebrities do I, that. I, 100%. Well, they all, they know the value of creating. I mean, so like actors have always, the the trajectory of an actor was always build up the audience mm-hmm. and then take a backseat as a producer. And then once you had that backseat as a producer, you could then build your own franchise like Tom Cruise with Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. That whole Mission Impossible thing, that's all him. Like that's yeah. how he has all his money is from that very first one, right? Yeah. Well, I heard so, that they didn't let him do his own stunts, so he's like, fine, I'll just be a producer and uh, now I can do them. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not sure about that, but I know he does do his own yeah. stunts. Um, but like the idea of like having to create your own material right even even when you're an actor like think about how hard that is you're a top actor Mm -hmm. and they're just throwing scripts at you like left and right you're turning stuff down that's your job you have someone turning down stuff for you yeah but then to take it on your own and be like i'm going to raise all this money and i'm going to build my own team because i have this vision and i have this thing that i want to create that takes so much yeah energy that may be why so many oscar-winning films are directed and starred by the same person 100 percent, or their actor turned directors i mean that's like they have this art inside of them totally so that's like the trajectory right Mm -hmm. and now you're seeing a lot of these celebrities who are these actors where they're now kind of taking what they were already doing but now they're applying it another in a new medium so like i i guarantee you will smith will have another career resurgence from youtube if he keeps going on because i mean even his instagram is like crazy awesome now he's doing stuff no one's doing yeah you know so just like eventually you know yeah although he he has a huge advantage i mean he just had like aladdin like which is like his number one film Mm -hmm. of all time you know he's got a a great team of people making all he has all of the stuff behind him already so he's at a huge advantage sure but like you know i think a lot of musicians don't understand the value of social media like I, i have some friends it's like they want to just keep creating albums and just put them out and get signed by record label. Right. It's like, no, like you really should build an audience. I think, and then trickle out your music and let that, you know. Yeah, and I think I think procuring the relationship with the audience is super important too. Yeah. Like, it's probably something I don't do enough, but interacting with them, uh, mm-hmm. creating devices where you can be, um, you can make yourself available. You know. Yeah they ask me anything stuff or like the meetups like yeah. those are those are so valuable because yeah. you're creating this audience they're 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 watching your stuff well speaking of you. ask me anything we didn't ask me anything uh-huh. it's your first one you've ever done i think yeah right? uh i put on my instagram you put on your instagram what's the one thing that you still struggle with when it comes to content creation uh writing tyler chef writing writing do you write your your like youtube videos yeah, yeah. so you script it yeah, part of the illusion for me is being really good on camera and having it all off the cuff. 100% performance. That's really, it's like, I don't want to waste anyone's time. So figuring out how can I give you guys the information? How can I give you an on-ramp so you understand it if, if you've never heard of this product before or this yeah. concept before? And then how can I get to like the fun and games section of the video as quickly so that it's enjoyable and that you're left with 
some sort of new yeah. skill set. So do you use like a prompter? You just kind of read no, a piece I of d- paper? No, I just write it out on a Word doc and either print it and or now I have it on an iPad. And, and you just uh, kind of maybe look at a I go I go and, line by line. Yeah. And a lot of these people, they're like, I see some of these uh, other people that rip other YouTubers about like, the jump cuts like if you yeah. go to any editing forum it's like yeah. oh yeah the jump cuts it's like well dude like that's not because it's just it's because of efficiency like the yeah. jump cut is because i literally hit stop and start for that one sentence yeah so that i could stitch them together <laughs> and it's you know edited <laughs> and quickly. it's sort of like it's a totally acceptable part of the genre of youtube now like I don't even think yeah, twice you don't, about well, it. Well, I mean, eventually you just don't even see them anymore. Yeah. It just kind of, it's weird. I mean, Philip DeFranco, like, has built an entire following. I don't have All right. So this is a question you might get a lot, uh, or you, at least a, a comment. Uh, why does he wear so many denim shirts, or should I put it? Or, okay. One denim. Yes. You only have one? No. <laughs> so how many denim shirts do you have? Uh, I have, like, 11. We have to shoot stuff. Sometimes it takes multiple days to shoot it. Yeah. And in a small way, if you are trying to squeeze that timeline into a short, it took place in one day. Yeah. The easiest solution is going to be to have the same shirt, right? Exactly. And so I quickly was going through like that shirt. I would have to wait for it to be washed or like to whatever. And then I was like, you know what? Every video from now on is going to be in the same shirt and I'm going to buy 20 of them. And that's, yeah. that's the end of it. It's the same exact same. And shirt. I'm sure I, I, I'm sure I'll probably regret it. And like one day I'll be like, God, that was so stupid. Like trying to be like the blue collar, Steve jobs wearing uh-huh. denim on denim on denim. It's just, yeah. I'm sure it's a good but, look. But for now, like I, I, I think it, it kind of works. And, yeah. I've thought about know. doing the same thing because I wear about, you know, a bunch of colored shirts just like Although, this. you know, I was hanging out with like Swoozy, you know, Swoozy. Uh-uh. Swoozy does like these animated videos. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was there with, uh, we were doing a video for Jesse Wellens, Jesse. Yeah. And so I met Swoozy and I was like, how do you do the shirt thing? Because he was talking about my shirt and I'm like, well, how do you do it? He's like, oh, I got one shirt. And then when I'm done recording, I put it on a hanger and then that's it. <laughs> So he doesn't watch it. <laughs> so like, but I was like, wow, that could work too. You just don't like, so you don't wear it for the rest of the day. You take yeah. it off. Yeah, that makes I'm sense. I'm like, genius. <laughs> just take like, the shirt off. Would have saved me so much money. I spent like four or $500 on these $50 shirts. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I got like closet full of them, you know? <laughs> so and of course it's terrible because I don't know when I'm going to do an episode or not. I always have a camera with me. Uh-huh. And so like, you, I have to always just wear the shirt. <laughs> I'm like, I could film something. I need the shirt. I need the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of caused a little bit of a, an issue for you. I don't, to be honest with you, it's, it's actually taken out a little bit of the thought process of uh-huh. my day of like what I'm going to wear. So that, that's super helpful. Uh, Michael uh, asks, has he ever tried to make a short film? Yes. Or have you made any? Yeah, I made a short. Uh, it's on Vimeo? It's it was on Vimeo and then um, I may have pulled it off video on I may have pulled it off Vimeo and I put it on YouTube okay. and I gave it context of the behind nice. the scenes and that was the one um, I shot that at Burning Man actually oh, it cool. was my first short film uh, it's called Deep Playa Sunrise and it was the first narrative piece to be shot or one of the first narrative pieces to be greenlit by Burning Man like they they read the script they loved it and they pretty much gave me a blank check to oh, to go do it and that was my that was really like my first body of work um before that i wasn't 
uh, it was like just after the Seeds of Hope thing. Mm -hmm. And so that one video was the the moment that I decided I no longer wanted to be an actor Mm -hmm. and that doing you know directing and shooting was really yeah. what i wanted i wanted to be behind the camera even though you're on camera even now. though now i'm in back in front of the camera yeah that's cool can people see it on your channel yeah oh sweet yeah it's uh the video is called i my first film sucked and i still made it work or something like that is it, it has disaster shoot on there because it was just a night it was a nightmare <laughs> Melvin Costco asks, Josh is reading all my DMs but never responds. <laughs> Melvin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Melvin. <laughs> Listen, I only read them. I'm not actually reading them. I'm just doing it so the notification goes away. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's worse. But but it's like the OCD part of my brain where I'm like, God, this thing's not going to get this notification. Go away. But the truth is that I have so many, there's just yeah. a wall of questions. I <laughs> no, mean, I could easily around. spend nine hours a day answering yeah. all these questions. It's and, true. And then you don't get to work. Because uh, it's never just can't. one question. It's like that plus four follow-up yeah. questions. Then and, then, and then you got to shut them down. And make art tomorrow. And yeah, it's exactly. Now. Like, yeah. look, Melvin, it already takes me like four weeks to do one video. You want it to take like 11? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, bro. Uh, Screve asks, are you planning to stay unmonetized on YouTube? Uh, I do monetize. You do? Um, the only ones that are unmonetized are when I'm stealing music. And okay. um, I'm like, YouTube's going to you get me in like trouble. I thought you had like a kind of a... Like well, a, at first. The first, um, the first year of the channel, I didn't monetize. Um, and somebody told me that Casey did that too. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But out of mine was purely because i couldn't monetize and then after i could i was like well there's so much freedom when you don't monetize you know in terms of like you don't really care how much money you're making you know you're doing it for the art and i always i thought that was kind of punk rock and then you can also kind of get away with sneaking little bits of other people's music in there and you don't have to worry about getting uh penalized yeah and um but honestly now everybody uses ad blockers or they have youtube premium anyways so like a lot of people don't see ads anyways even if you have ads on Oh, right. Well, I mean, after... I mean, I like, just, I pay for YouTube Premium, so the fact that you turn it off doesn't affect me at all because I normally... I don't mm. see ads anyway. I think most of it wasn't for the audience, but it was for... For you. It was for me, yeah. yeah. It was like, do it for the art, you know. I love that. But um, now it's like... But now it's do it for But now money. you're doing it for... Now do it for money. <laughs> <laughs> Make money now. I love it. Uh, what's your... David Kerberger asks, what are some of your biggest goals right now? Um, I'm going to do a feature in the next two years. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I'm going to take the audience along with me. I love it. What's it going to be? I'm not going to tell you. Okay. We'll see. But I got to figure it out and it's, uh, it's never been done before. Uh Uh-huh. And it's going to take a lot. It, I probably have to grow my channel to about, I'd say 500,000 or maybe, maybe a million in order to get enough support Uh to, to actually pull it off. But I think it'd be super rad to take the audience along with me from the beginning uh-huh. to the end, yeah. and and actually, and then delete the channel, and then just <laughs> delete the channel. See you later. Thanks, thanks for your money. No, but like involve them in the process too. Yeah. So like, yeah. Y- y- we forget how powerful hive mind is when you have all these data points, especially people that know your stuff. They know your channel. Yeah, they know what you like. And if you were to 
orchestrate uh, uh, some system where you could get input that's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. You could probably get some, re- you could probably get. Have you ever seen Yes Theory? Yeah. They in, in, incorporate the audience a lot in their channel. It's right. brilliant. Right. So, I mean, there's incredible computational power in Hivemind. And sure. so it'd be great to involve that in the mm-hmm. creation process. Hivemind just sounds like a villain from like a Hive DC Mind. comic. With like hive a, mind look i just came up with the production name he's got like a like the beehive like around his head kind of thing his eyes just poke fight spider-man bees just fly around him that's like a spider-man villain let's be honest hands. oh absolutely yeah um <laughs> he wouldn't last in batman or like you know uh, yeah probably not iron man no nah, yeah it would kind of be laughable in a batman scenario oh when i it's yeah. like it's like wait a minute your powers is like bees come out and get me <laughs> I got bug spray. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, shark repellent. I got it right here. End of story. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little Batman one, a little tiny one. Yeah, exactly. David Sonberger asks, uh, "Your videos are always one step beyond informative and entertaining. You don't just explain a product or feature. You describe uh, you describe hidden features. How do you manage to do this all the time? Isn't it exhausting?" Oh my God, it is 100% exhausting. Yeah. I'm like. My favorite part of the whole process, though, and this kind of answers that. My favorite part is when I'm done with the video, I do my final pass on it, and I sit back and I'm like, I could just not upload this. Like this could just be for me. <laughs> yeah. And I get so much satisfaction in that. I'm like, all right, I'll share it, and then it's done. And then pretty much everything else after that, the feedback, the views, is kind of. It's a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get. It could yeah. be, you could be ripped apart. It could just be ripped apart by like that one comment or it could be all this glowing comments of people's whose lives you've changed from this inspiring video, right? Yeah. So like, but creating the art, it's, you know, I, I make it sound like I'm creating it for you guys, but uh, I'm creating it for me. I love that. That's always for you. It's never, yeah. I've heard this like one for them, one for me, but for you, it's all for you. Yeah, all for me. Yeah. Cause otherwise I get bored and, yeah. and also it's like, you know, you gotta move the needle up, you know, you gotta like yeah. advance it a little bit. I agree. And I think, uh, everything that you're saying about like going against what a lot of people would even tell you to do for the algorithm's sake, like I, that. My don't follow my channel. If, if you're trying to get a million subscribers, I know, but here's, this is not the right path for but that. But here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make, though. Everybody that does have a million subscribers or more who is truly like a revolutionary artist, they don't follow any of the rules mm. ever. Like they're not, their thumbnails aren't always the best. Like it doesn't matter. They don't say at the beginning, on my channel, I talk about blah, blah, blah. Make sure to say subscribe to learn more about blank. Oh my God. And that's what they tell you to do. And that's what a lot of people who do have a lot of subscribers do do. But there is a, an aspect of what you're doing that is because your personality is so contagious and so entertaining to watch. And because you're being different, like, I think it's it will pay off. When you look at Casey Neistat or one of my favorites is currently David Dobrik. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched any of his mm-hmm. vlogs. Um, he just, he does vlogs, but it's like, it's modern day jackass stuff, like pranks and crazy stuff, but it's, he's got this kind of artist, uh, thing behind it. That's better than just stupid pranks. Like there is a narrative to every video he's doing. And these guys, like they're not following the rules at all. And that's what I see in you. And that's what I want to do too. Yeah, and I think it's just like one or two uh, extra set of hands. Like I yeah. call them employees, but like just sets 
yeah. uh, brains helping me behind yeah. the machine um for sure that could easily happen i think the hardest thing in terms of production is always building that first template yeah and working out all the kinks and then from there you have economies of scale where mm -hmm. it it sure it took me three weeks to do this video the first time but then the second time it takes me a week and then once you get all of those efficiencies worked out, yeah. then you're pumping out a video every you know three days. The problem is that my scale is like I've been at it for like a year and a half now, and you yeah. know my my progress is just a little bit slow in terms of but that's it's shortening not, that difference. But it's, the great thing about you though is that you still are executing stuff. You're saying you're going to do something, and you do it, and you're pushing yourself. And sure, it might be slow in air quotes, but compare that to someone who is talking about doing it and not doing anything and you're actually you. moving forward so i don't see you as slow at all i just see you as you and that is your time well thank you man your timing takes time so and that's okay timing timing takes timing yeah jg3 asks i want to know how he pushes that imposter syndrome out of his head i've heard him talk about it before uh, uh getting in the yeah. way Looking at him now, though, it seems like he has a system for striving forward. So, you know, imposter syndrome. I, I think we all struggle with it. It actually takes, you know how long it takes me to do a video? I don't know. You just said it'll, three weeks. It'll take, it takes about two weeks. Uh -huh. The first 11 days are me dealing with that imposter syndrome. Right. It actually should take me about two and a half days to do a video. Mm -hmm. That's it. To shoot it, edit it, get it up line. I, if I had a gun in my head, I could do it in one day. Yeah, sure. For sure. And, it, and you wouldn't see a notice in quality drop. Uh-huh. But that imposter, like, I can't deny that that imposter uh, voice is there, and it's strong What's, sometimes. What does that voice tell you? What do, what do you struggle with? Um, You know, it changes. It's... Uh, not good enough? I think that's not probably... Not I think I think that's probably it. Not good enough. Yeah. Or uh, boring or not worthy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so being worthy of your own success is, I think it's hard for me to accept. Yeah. You know, um, sometimes like I'll write off a, if a video does well, I might think it's a fluke or whatever. And then, yeah. I'll, or I'll try to copy it and then it doesn't work. Or a lot of times those uh, comments also can kind of put you in a little bit of a tailspin as well. So now I just, I'm, slowly getting to the point where i'm reading less and less comments yeah and if people want to congratulate me or tell me how inspired they are you know dm me on on instagram yeah and you won't respond because if you're but... gonna go out of your way to give me a nasty comment on instagram or like email it to me like uh -huh. oh man like how yeah like your life is way worse than mine like, <laughs> gee, like wow like you went out of your way to hurt me holy cow exactly i feel, I feel bad for you dude how can i help you <laughs> Do you have any more AMAs on your Instagram that you wanted to ask? Thoughts on the red camera controversy. What's that? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of controversy. First off... Is it because of Blackmagic Pocket 6K? No, no, no. Uh, so there was a huge controversy with their SSDs. They have been claiming for years that it's like a specialized... Proprietary. Proprietary thing. Somebody stripped it apart. They just and found took it apart. It's just like a stock SSD. It's not even fast. Like it's a really cheap like $100 SSD. 100% guarantee that's what happened. And then, so that kind of blew up on the internet. And then now uh, Apple is suing them because they were suing Apple for like, if you mention the word raw, compressed raw in any way, 
they kind of have a patent on R3D compressed raw. Uh And so they had a problem with Apple talking about compressed raw. And so Apple's firing back because they're like, you're an idiot. And so they're just going to. Oh my God. They're just going to crush Maybe, Red. What if they just destroy each other? That would be kind of fantastic. I don't think Red could destroy Apple, but. It would be great, though. Yeah. So, what do you think of the Blackmagic Pocket 6K? Okay, so we can both answer this one. My thoughts are first off, uh, 6K raw, $2,500. If that interests you and you're excited about that, it's great because for yep. $2,500, there's nothing. Does it dethrone Blackmagic Pocket 4K? No, not at all. No. In fact, I would argue that. If Blackmagic 4K in some ways is better because of the versatility oh, of the mount. No, what they did with the 4K, they gave you all of the tools. I mean, yeah. for, and for that price point, you could buy two of them. Twelve ninety nine, right? I would rather have two 4Ks than um, yeah. than a 6K. And uh, Armando and I actually did a side by side comparison with the 4K and the 6K. Yeah, and you're, they look, they both look great. I will say though, with Having 6K, if you're delivering 4K and you're doing any post-cropping or anything like that, well, having that extra resolution is helpful. Well, here's the really cool thing is that if you shoot everything in 6K and mm-hmm. you're going to deliver in 4K or 1080, you can now pull screen grabs yep. from 6K mm-hmm. and you can use those for your thumbnails or yep. for your social. And those are really sharp. It's 24 megapixels. Yeah. 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 And it's raw. I mean, I've been doing that with... That's how I get most of my thumbnails and Instagram stuff. I'm just pulling from 4K footage. But yeah. now it's like, well... Yeah. But other than that, if, you, if you're if you not interested in uh, 6K raw, then don't get it. Because you can only shoot 4K ProRes. Uh, if you There's don't... a couple of features on there that are different now. They have like a Luma. Uh, they have like a... I heard they're adding all that, though, to the 4K. Uh, are they giving an upgrade? All the firmware, that would make sense. All the firmware things that you like about the 6K, like Anamorphic and some of those things, yeah. they're going to carry over. That would make sense. Well, then that's that makes the uh, 4K even more powerful then because yeah. there's a bunch of stuff in there. I was like, oh, this is new. This is new. This is yeah. great. But Just new I, I would have loved it for them to give us like a true two, 240 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That would have which they still might. I mean, it yeah. depends on how much processing power that thing has. But Totally. You know, what's interesting is that I've had the Ecamm 2 for a while now. Yeah, the Zcam? Sorry. Thing? Yeah, the Zcam E2. Yeah. That shoots 240 frames at 1080. Dang. Unusable. Really? It's terrible. Oh, okay. I thought it was good. It look I I and I hate Super I grainy. hate to, I hate to badmouth any company cuz I you know how hard it is to take off the takes a uh, thing off the ground. It's advertised as um like 240 frames per second 1080 it looks like a scaled up 480 oh wow so it's like really i don't i don't know if there's some magic going on behind the scenes where they're kind of lying or (laughs) if it's literally like that's how little bit rate is left that that it's just stripping away all the detail and and doing an artificial uh, sharpening well they're coming out with a full frame 6k camera soon right so which will be in contention with the uh black magic and the S1H and the A7S 3 A7S 3 is going to be 6K? I think if Panasonic released the S1H to do 6K, then yeah, they have to. Mm. Panasonic Sony's biggest competitor, really. Mm. It's not going to be 8K? No, not yet. Yeah, probably not. In like two years, it will be. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be 6K. We know it. It'll be um, released next month, too. So since you review a lot of products on your channel, uh, I have a couple rapid-fire camera gear-related uh, questions. Okay. Just do answer it. them as quick as possible. Osmo Action or GoPro Hero 7? Uh, GoPro Hero 7. Best gimbal of choice for your workflow? Uh, Ronin S. Favorite lens? Otis 55. Preferred camera for filmmaking? 
Uh, black magic. Main 4K. camera for stills. Uh, Sony A7R3. Favorite location for filming? Sand dunes, Kelso, middle of the desert, Mojave. Go-to drone? Um, Mavic Pro 2. Nice. So what about... When we saw each other at Cinegear, you had a 1DX Mark II. Yeah. I didn't even know you had one. I use that. I'm going to sell that. I'm actually going to get rid of all my Canon equipment. Oh, yeah. You're switching over, except for the 300 Mark II. Look, so the Canon, uh, I mean, I have to hold on to that, but <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually selling my C200. Uh-huh. Um, that was my main vlogging setup. Uh-huh. And the reason why I had that was just because the autofocus is so damn good. Yeah. Um, but you know what? The A7 III autofocus is blazing fast and it's yeah. especially fast enough for like well-lit interview. And you or have a flip screen vlog. on it now too. So Now it has a flip screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think the 1DX, I, I don't even use it anymore. Yeah. I feel like it was one of those purchases that I got because I wanted, uh, you know, I think everyone else was using that for the 4K60 and it was kind of great. And it's, it's a workhorse for sure. It's an incredible camera. Um, yeah, and I've used it for a lot of stuff, but I'm I'm using it less and less now, especially now that um, doing the Blackmagic 4K stuff, and I can get the colors to look just as good. Yeah, if better, if it's not like, better, because it's raw. Well, I mean, it takes a lot of work to get those colors to look good on the on the on, pocket. Yeah, you have to know what you're doing. Yeah, like when you uh, when I first jumped into it, I uploaded a video where I shot a real estate uh, a 120 million dollar home, and I hadn't nailed the colors, but I was in such a rush that I uploaded it anyway. Oh my God, dude, I got ripped apart. And it, <laughs> and it, rightfully so, like I deserved it. Like yeah. that camera, you have to, you have to nail white balance and exposure. And then you have to know how to uh, do all the post stuff to get sure. that to look right. Whereas the 1DX, you can just put it on portrait mode and boom, there you go. Yeah. It looks beautiful. Exactly. Yeah. So kind of some final thoughts, final questions. We had a good conversation. This is pretty good. Pretty good. Do you like it? You're good at this. To close this thing out, how do you maintain creativity when you're going from one project to the next? Because I've had situations where I just get too burnt out on this thing. I mean, I'm. It's too much sometimes for me. I think every single video I get, uh, every every video that I do, there's a point where I'm hitting my head against the wall and I'm yeah. like, I don't know how to solve this. I don't know how to bridge this gap. And I think for me. If I don't have that point in a video, I'm like, I'm not interested in it. Uh-huh. So then it weeks will go by and, the, and I won't finish the video. But if it's a good enough problem and I'll, then I'll solve it, then I'm like, I got something there. That's interesting to me. I, I, I learned something new and, yeah. and that's normally something that I'll finish. Yeah. I have, I can't tell you how many videos I have that I haven't finished. Yeah. I'm constantly working on videos. So it's yeah. not like I, I just on the whim, I'm like, oh, I think I'll do a I video today and then I'll yeah. take a month off. I have probably have 30 or 40 videos that I have either shot and edited halfway through and just shelved because, yeah. I, eh, you know, yeah. who knows? And that's probably my biggest downfall too. Yeah. Is that I don't just put out. That's when, uh, like for me with, with Kinotika, at least the review channel that I work on, I do view that as a job. Like I have to put out one video a week. I think if I was under that same pressure, uh-huh. I'd have a lot more videos out because I'd be like, "Well, look, I just I'll just nail the next one." It's but, just a jobby job, right? Yeah, like, but I haven't I haven't come to those terms yet, and there's there's definitely virtues in that. Yeah. So absolutely. What advice do you have for others that are trying to find their creative spark and want to do what you're doing? Um. 
breakdowns lead to breakthrough. So when you hit that wall and you don't know, you don't have that answer. Yeah. Like in your brain, when you physically hit that wall, <laughs> or hit the or microphone. hit the microphone, when you physically hit that, your brain is like releasing dopamine and all these other like neurochemicals that are they trigger creativity, they trigger yeah. you know this flight, whether you call it flight or f- fight or flight response. Yeah. But there's something going on there, and a lot of my most creative thoughts have come out from when I'm physically upset and I'm yeah. having a breakdown. Yeah. I mean, I had that with my first film and I didn't know how I was going to shelve the whole film. And one day I was like, I screamed out loud. I was like, it's, he, he, it's just all this stuff that he's hearing in his head. You know, it's just, and then I was like, boom. Yeah. His conversation is actually happening in his head. It doesn't have to be a literal what he heard because he can't mm-hmm. hear anything. He's deaf. You have to see the, you have to see my short film yeah. to know what I'm talking about. So but. let's 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 play a little game here, um, uh, a figurative game. Okay. You're allowed to put a giant banner, like a hundred feet by two hundred feet wide, that is in the Burning Man entrance, and it can say anything you want on that banner. What do you put on that banner? What do you want to say to everybody? Fuck your burn. There's a saying there. It's so snarky. You guys will have to bleep that out. But you have to leave it out. It's snarky, but a lot of people say that in the forums and even when you're there. And it means have a nice day, uh-huh. right? But it's like handle your own stuff, right? Because uh-huh. a lot of it takes so much energy just to get out there. You're talking like it's out in the middle of the desert. You have to pack your own water, your own food. The only thing they provide is porter potties. Uh-huh. You have to bring everything. And so it weeds out a lot of people that ordinarily wouldn't go to that kind of festival right Uh and so when stuff goes wrong you're missing something you get hurt or whatever like there's um radical self-reliance is one of the one of the rules or one sorry one of the guidelines of burning man and that's essentially that it's like well you burn you know like handle it like yeah take 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 responsibility do it yeah and that applies to everything in life applies to everything yeah. yeah i love it hold yourself accountable how can we learn to make art now <laughs> it's more like make art every every couple like weeks 15 days every yeah. three weeks but if a gun was held in my head i mean day. like i don't know i again i don't think people should do what i do because it it, it you'd probably go insane like i'm am actively going insane doing my channel yeah <laughs> but it, there is a virtue in trying to create something new and if it stimulates you when you're making it then you got something and that's art if it doesn't then that's a product it's either art it's either art or commerce yeah you know you're right sometimes it's a blend but you know for the most part how do you you blend that I struggle with that um because I mean like let's take for example your most recent video it was a DJI sponsored video right about the Ronin S but it was still artistic and I mean I think if I just simply went over the features then that would be the the product but like I showed something unique and I put and I gave it context of like here's something you probably have never done before or hardly seen like this like that first opening shot like I thought that would be way more popular than the wireless ND but Uh everyone their mind was blown with the wireless ND. I was like, yeah. but yeah, it was so like, but that first shot, I was like, that was something that, that tripped me out. That propelled me to finish the video. Cause I was like, that's something I haven't seen. Like I've yeah. never even thought of it that. It looks like, so cinematic. It looks really cinematic. Like, especially that quick pan shot back. 
it like looked like really good uh, cinematographer nailing the marks, you know. Um, that was all autofocus and just hitting that button and doing it. So, you know, that was a, a unique challenge. It's amazing. The timing of that took me like six or seven tries to like sure. to nail it. But well, it I mean, was, actors do that too when they're trying to hit their marks. Totally. So. Totally. Um, but that that first section was one hundred percent art. Man, we and then I sent that to DJI and they were like, I just sent them that that first minute clip. And they're like, we've actually never seen anyone do this before. I was like, yep, we're on to something. <laughs> That's awesome. We'll finish it up. Heck yeah, man. Yeah, so that was good. So we went from uh, going to college in uh, Arizona to moving to LA, doing mm. the actor thing, inventing meals. You ever heard of the expression making it? <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. We all want to make it, right? I yeah. want to make it. So like I was saying that all the time, or at least in my mind. I want to make it. I yeah, like, it. What, man, when am I going to catch my break? When am I going to make it? When am I going to make it? And finally, I realized I don't want to make it. Mm-hmm. I want to make it. Yeah. Right? The process. Yeah. And that it. was the whole switch, and that was the make art now. Amazing. Um, so that was it. Well, Joshua, make art now. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Thanks for buddy. doing the podcast. Love you. Uh, can I take this? This looks great. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. You, you should use this for your channel. Or I something. should. Yeah. I should. This is, I mean, you spelt it right and everything. It's yeah. perfect. Do Thanks. it. Thanks, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Joshua. I would encourage you to go check him out on YouTube and Instagram if you haven't already. His YouTube and Instagram handle is makeartnow and there's periods after each word. Seriously, if you have not seen any of his videos, I implore you to go do it. It is hilarious, it is entertaining, his content is top notch. If you're a fan of the Golden Hour Podcast, would you please consider leaving us a rating in the Apple Podcast player? It really means a lot to us and it kind of boosts the algorithm so that this podcast will get out there to more people so please leave it a review and share it with someone that you think would enjoy this episode and if you're interested in following my work and my stuff you can follow me on twitter or instagram at dave mays underscore at the end of that and uh, hit me up and let me know what you think of the golden hour podcast once again i'm honored to have you guys listen in on the golden hour podcast here in the polar pro studio and we'll see you next week